Church family, I was so impressed with Michelle's faith story. Uh, she was vulnerable about how hard it is to wait. Waiting is difficult, um, and not just in motherhood. Waiting is difficult in so many areas of life. I'm thinking about those who are waiting for that job promotion or waiting for those test results or waiting for that loved one to come home, waiting. We spend a lot of our time waiting and how difficult it is. We're waiting for that loved one to be rescued from addiction. We're waiting for this virus to be eradicated and we're asking God, God, where are you? Have you forgotten us? Why don't you do something? How long, oh Lord? Waiting is so hard. And on top of that, we live in a culture that resists the notion of waiting. So I've got a smartphone, and one of these days, we'll get 5G. And the moment I get 5G, I'm going to want 6G because I don't want to have to wait. And when I'm on my laptop and I'm working, all of a sudden, that dreaded circle of death starts spinning and I'm panicking because I'm wondering, did I save my work? Finally, I'm going to just shut the thing down and then I have to wait for it to be rebooted. And I, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for all of us to be gathered together as a church family. I can't wait for that. I miss us. I miss our dynamic in corporate worship. I miss the the back and forth of speaker and listener. I mean, like right now, it's just a camera. It's just deadpan. Nothing's going on. I, I almost miss a cell phone going off in my message. I mean, my goodness, I'm tired of waiting, waiting. I would rather talk and do instead of sit and wait. Waiting is so hard. If anything that I've said resonates with you, I think you'll be benefited by our study today in the book of Habakkuk. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet who lived in the kingdom of Judah, about 600 years before the birth of Christ. Israel, under the united monarchy of Saul and David and Solomon, had become the divided monarchy, the divided kingdoms. Ten northern tribes called Israel, two southern tribes called Judah. And the scripture says that every one of the northern tribes' kings did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And God sent prophet after prophet to plead for the northern kingdom to repent, but they didn't. They did not turn to God. And finally, God sent the Assyrian Empire to swallow the ten northern tribes, Israel. And you would think that the remaining kingdom of Judah would learn from their brothers who were swallowed by the Assyrian Empire, but they were not. They, God said, if you will just do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before me, I will, 
I will bring you a flourishing life. But they refused the Lord. They wanted to be like the nations. And God said, if you want to be like the nations that badly, I will arrange the introduction. But I don't think it's going to turn out the way you would like for it to turn out. And Habakkuk lived in the waning days of the kingdom of Judah. Habakkuk was a prophet in the temple there in Jerusalem. And he was a prophet who would sing prophecies according to 1 Chronicles 25, verse 1, with the lyre and the harp and the cymbals. And the Lord gives Habakkuk a prophecy. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle literally means burden. So what we're about to read is a heavy word from the Lord to Habakkuk who is having this inner struggle with the ways of God. He doesn't understand why God doesn't do something about the wickedness and injustice in Judah. And he's a clergy and he's struggling with God and So he complains to God, how long, O Lord, shall I cry for help? Verses 1 through 4. And then God does the amazing thing. He responds to Habakkuk. And he says to Habakkuk, oh, I'm not intolerant of the evil of my people. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send the Babylonian Empire to purge the evil of my people and bring them into exile and to eradicate their sin. They're going to Babylon. And Habakkuk is aghast at this. He says, how can you do that, Lord? I mean, the Babylonians are even worse. And and after he responds to God, he says... And this is our text in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, I'm going to wait for a response. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write down this vision Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. So we're talking about waiting here. Though it delays, verse 3, wait for it. I want to answer three questions as we consider these verses today. First, what does the Bible mean when it urges us to wait? What does it mean to wait? Let's get a definition. Secondly, why? What's the significance of waiting as far as God is concerned? And then thirdly, how? How does God want us to wait? What and why and how? That's where we're going this morning. Well, first the what. Let's get a definition here. Uh, Well, here's what waiting is not. Waiting is not sitting idly. 
Waiting is not twiddling your thumbs. That Waiting's not that. Waiting is a declaration of dependence on the God who is able. That's what waiting is. Waiting is declaring that until God shows up, I can't do anything. So waiting means embracing God. To wait is to embrace. To embrace patiently, expectantly, prayerfully, prayerfully, and in hope that the God who is will act on behalf of His people for His glory and for our good. To wait is to embrace. And it's interesting that Habakkuk's name literally means embrace. God, I'm embracing you. I trust you. I will wait for you. And so the Lord responds to Habakkuk. He says, write, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. So it's like, I want you to write this down because I want my people to be able to read it. I want it to be clear. I want it to be passed down from generation to generation. This is important. When God says write, it means he's going to speak. And when he speaks, he's about ready to act. And so Habakkuk needs to inscribe it on tablets so that it can be easily read. Like a runner running past a billboard who can clearly see the message. Habakkuk is to write clearly the vision that he is to receive from God. A vision that is to come. And a vision whose fulfillment will be for the appointed time. Though it delays, God says, wait for it. It will certainly come. Now think about this. We're talking about a threefold kind of waiting here. So first, Habakkuk speaks and then he waits for God to respond, and God does. And then God responds, and in his response, he says, Habakkuk, write, because a vision is coming, and Habakkuk's going to need to wait for that. And then after he writes the vision, he is to wait for the fulfillment of the vision. So wait for God to reply, wait for the vision to be communicated, and then wait for the fulfillment of the vision. There's waiting that's going on here. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, Habakkuk's going, God, just tell me what the vision is so I don't have to wait anymore. Just come on, get on with it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. He's kind of tempted to be impatient there. I know I would be. What is that about? Here's what that's about. Habakkuk thinks that the problem in Jerusalem is dirty streets. And what needs to happen is there needs to be some moral street sweepers. Yeah, we've got bad street sweepers, and now we need good street sweepers in order to clean the streets. And God's response is, you know, Habakkuk, the problem's a lot deeper than that. I mean, that's such a surface solution to the deep problem of sin that has infected humanity ever since 
Genesis chapter 3, when the man and the woman chose to embrace the serpent's words instead of God's words. And there is not one crevice of this universe that remains unstained by the sin of Genesis chapter 3. And street sweeping is not going to get the job done. And so God says to Habakkuk, I'm really not interested in cleaning your curb. What I'm interested in is a new city. A city that comes down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. The new heavens and the new earth. That's God's vision. And that's the vision that Habakkuk is to write about. Scholars have conversations about the content of the vision itself. And some Bible teachers say that it was just the entire book of Habakkuk because it's easily read. It's only three chapters. Other scholars say, no, it's, it's really located in Habakkuk's prayer in chapter 3 that speaks of the rescuing royal God who came from his heavenly throne to retrieve his people and to bring them out of the slavery of sin to destroy evil. God came for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of your anointed. Chapter 3, verse 13. The vision is about God coming as king because only God can be our king. That's a lot deeper than just cleaning curbs. And that requires waiting at the appointed time. In the fullness of time, the apostle Paul said, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the curse of the law, that we, by grace through faith, might be adopted into his family as sons and daughters of the king. Oh, that's a big vision. That's very applicable to Habakkuk in his situation as he awaits the coming of an evil empire. God is going to do a work that Habakkuk would never even dream of on his own. And he's going to have to wait to embrace God. To wait is to embrace God. But that takes us to the second question that I want us to talk about. Why? Why does God have us wait? What is God up to in our wait? And I can't help but think of adoptive parents who are in the process of um, you know, adopting a child, bringing a, a son or a daughter into their family, and then the things that begin to circle around their minds as this process unfolds, and the anxieties and the worries like, what if something goes wrong? What if the birth parents change their mind? What if it doesn't turn out the way I'd like for it to turn out? And those kinds of worries and anxieties can surface uh, desired outcomes that we really want, 
And we really want to control the circumstances so that we get what we want, so that we get the desired outcome. And and waiting forces us to depend not on our desired outcome, not on results according to our terms, but waiting requires us to trust a person, the God of heaven and earth, who knows us and loves us more than we know and can love our own selves. The God who is our greatest advocate. The God who rescued us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be adopted into His family. Habakkuk is learning to trust God in his uncertain circumstance. And he's realizing that in the wait, God is using waiting to transform him into a person he would not be otherwise. And that's what he does in your life and in my life. He uses waiting as a tool of transformation so that we will become more and more like Jesus. That's the why. The what is waiting embraces God. The why is waiting transforms us into the likeness of God. And then the how? Well, remember when Habakkuk says in verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So it's the picture of a sentinel on duty, on the lookout. So Habakkuk is to wait like an emergency services uh, staff. Habakkuk is, is to be firefighter ready. Habakkuk is to be police officer prepared. He is to be ready at a moment's notice. He is to wait dutifully. He is to wait expectantly. He is to wait faithfully. He's not sitting. He's not idle. He's not twiddling his thumbs. He's practicing active patience, and he's prepared for whatever happens. Waiting is my opportunity to prepare so that I can do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And that takes us to this verse in Habakkuk 2, 4. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. Well, that's one way to wait. To wait proudly. To wait with a puffed ego. To wait with a soul that's inflated. (laughs) So much so that a pinprick could deflate him. There's a better way, God says. Habakkuk, I want you to be the righteous person who lives a life that is sustained in the faithfulness of God. But the righteous one will live by his faith. And we're not just talking about faith as in doctrinal content, but we're talking about fidelity, loyalty, consistency, faithfulness. The Apostle Paul summarizes the gospel this way, doesn't he? 
The righteous will live by faith. But that means that the righteous one, by God's strength, will persevere to the end. I'll put it this way. Keep waiting for the one who keeps you waiting. So we don't wait in our own strength. We don't wait by gritty willpower. Instead, God sustains our strength to wait. Keep waiting for the one who keeps you waiting. The the strength to wait is what Michelle spoke of in her faith story when she said these beautiful words, where our powerful creator leads, there is far greater treasure than anything left behind. That's waiting expectantly, prayerfully. God is up to something. I'm on the lookout. I'm going to be up in the tower so that I can have perspective Because when you have perspective on high, it's a different view from on the ground. And so I'm going to seek the perspective of God. And that's how I'm going to wait in faithfulness. So I have been asked uh, by some of you a very kindly and uh, with much prayer support. Randy, how are you doing in all of this? Okay. Really, how are you doing in all of this? You got a lot on your plate. Um, How are you doing in all this? And I appreciate the question. And so here is my response. Um, So uh, it's like this. I wake up in the middle of the night, and uh, I have more questions than Habakkuk. (laughs) Um, And along with those questions can quickly follow... Worries and anxieties. Um, And then I sense God asking me, Randy, can you do this? And I confess, I said, Lord, no. No, I I, no, I I can't. I mean, there's just too much. There's there's too many webinars, There, there are too many articles to read, there are too many links, there are too many Zoom meetings. It's just, it's, it's really, Lord, overwhelming. No, I, no, um, no, I, I can't do this. Um, and then I sense him asking, well, Randy, do you think I can do this? Yes, Lord. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes. And then I sense him quietly asking, so why don't you join me? And it's just like a light bulb turns on when I realize that I don't have to walk into an unknown future alone. We go, and my loving Heavenly Father goes ahead, and He takes the initiative, and I do the following. Now that, I can do, and that's how I'm doing. And so we wait. We wait. And God takes initiative, 
And then we follow. And, and listen, did you know that while we were waiting this past week, here's what happened. God, through you, distributed food throughout our community and our church. And this past week, 50 families were helped at both our Windsor Road Christian Church campus and then the campus of Garden Hills Academy here in Champaign. God did that. God, through you, is working through a vibrant children's ministry where our congregation is now scattered into micro-congregations throughout our community and county. And, and our family life team is pushing out lessons and packets and spiritual activities and worksheets and crafts so that parents can pastor their children. God is doing that. God, through you, is pastoring families in deep grief and pastoral care and prayers are happening even when some in our church are hospitalized. God, through you, is shepherding the congregation by means of phone calls and texts and emails. And, and listen, beyond staff, elders and deacon teams and volunteer servants are calling and texting and emailing, checking in on our church family. And if you want to receive calls and you haven't, I want to know about it because we don't want anybody to be overlooked. Uh, and if you want to help reach out and make calls, I want to know about that. Randy at WindsorRoad.org. Randy at WindsorRoad.org. Let me know. Let me know. Oh, and this. Did you know that while we were waiting on God this past week, God initiated two baptisms here at our church campus on Thursday. <laughs> Waiting is not sitting and twiddling our thumbs. Waiting is embracing God actively, patiently, expectantly, faithfully. Where our powerful Creator leads, there is far greater treasure than anything left behind. Listen, this, this virus which we would never wish on anyone is still under God's sovereignty. God is using COVID-19 for His purposes. And that's why Habakkuk can later say in chapter 3, I will wait quietly. I will wait quietly. That means I will wait in trust. I will wait expectantly. I will wait with my soul at peace. Even when my surroundings are in chaos, I will wait. Not because I have the answers. Not because I have the explanations. But because I have God. I have you, God. Listen. Do you want answers? Or do you want God? Habakkuk says, I, I've got God. I've got what the Babylonians cannot take away. I have the Lord. So wait. Waiting is embracing God. Now, church family, and those of you who you know, may be exploring Christianity, I, I, I cannot end this message on waiting 
without reminding us that we are not the only one who waits. Hear me now. God's grace is waiting for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Grace is waiting for you. Grace is waiting like the father was waiting for his two lost sons in Luke chapter 15. Yeah, grace is waiting to put a robe on you. Grace is waiting to put a ring on your finger, just like the father did for his son. Grace is waiting for the feast to commence. But grace is waiting for you. Grace, grace is waiting to open your eyes and ears. Grace is waiting to give you the humility to humble and bow and kneel before our Creator King. Grace is waiting for you to repent and to keep repenting, to turn to God. And God's grace is always waiting in tears, even in our rebellion and in our anger and anxiety. Grace is waiting to welcome you. As one believer put it, God's grace is the pleasure of the Father fleshed out in the carpenter Messiah Jesus who left his Father's side, not for heaven's sake, but for our sake. You are why he came. It's vulgar grace of indiscriminate compassion and it's waiting for you. When will you let God love you? When will you put on his ring? When will you don his robe of righteousness? Our God is waiting to adopt you as his child in his family, in a kingdom forever. He's waiting to hold a feast in your honor. He's waiting to serve you the first course. He's waiting. Grace is waiting. The righteous will live by faith in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Amen.